It is day two of giant season, Brian. But first, <laughs> meet the Mets. Greet the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that clip of Mike and the Dog singing "Meet the Mets"? Yes. When I think when my that's that's the greatest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I always look at that clip as like the difference between why that show was amazing and why Mike himself was so bad is like it just never would have done anything as fun and light and exciting as that when he was by himself you know yeah yeah and that's it was true funny and you were like right this is fun it's supposed to be fun sports it's so he got so serious <laughs> yeah alone here yeah, you're right the levity of mad dog that's why the two of them were perfectly balanced right i Perfect. mean i am entertained by mad dog and Stephen a don't get me wrong right but it is two guys just screaming at each other. Right. You couldn't listen to three hours of that. Yeah, never. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it gets shared on, like, Twitter or something, it's like, okay, funny, but... Yeah. Yeah. Not sitting there for an hour watching the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's because, you know, they've gotten older, obviously, or, or maybe it's because of the format of the shows that they're on now, or what have you, but it seems odd to me how often... Mad Dog seems to get just pantsed on, yeah. <laughs> on ESPN. And yet Mike never seemed to do it to him that brutally. That's but, true. But I put Mike's sports knowledge up against anybody. Yeah, that's at, true. At least at the time, at their peak of their powers. Yeah. Mad Dog just can't get past these stupid bugaboos of like, Koozie, you know? It's like, I know. Dog, come on. You know Bob Koozie, you know, no longer ranks on anyone's list of, like, right. you know what I mean? And you know it and just accept it. Jesus Christ. And I don't care what Koozie tweeted. J.J. Redick was closer to being correct about the firemen than right. Koozie is about all the Hall of Famers right. that he played with. Give Get out of here. Give me a break. Give me yeah. a break. Which isn't to say Bob Koozie yeah, isn't rightly celebrated. But, like, no. When, we're, when it's like, who's the best point guard of all time? Koozie is no longer in the conversation. Not in the know? conversation. No. <laughs> like It's like when you're talking about quarterbacks and someone wants to be like, well, what about Otto Graham? You're like, shut the fuck up. You know, like <laughs> if everybody is dead who saw the guy play, he's no longer relevant to the goat. You know, just stop it. Right. It's because some of these guys – and I put Koozie in this category and certainly, you know, Otto Graham, that's not the same sport that's currently being it's played. It's just, just shut up. We yeah. don't, we, also, there's nothing, we can't, there's no way to talk about those guys in any context that makes sense. Like, just, you know, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, the Mets and the Yankees played last night in a relatively high-scoring baseball game. But it was, it was fun. It was a good game. Yeah, it was exciting. Uh, and yet, Brian, it seemed as though what was on your mind during the game was that we needed more homers. Not more homers, Scott. More steroids. There's plenty of home runs in baseball. What That's there true. is not are hits. Yeah. Nobody gets any hits. So this came to me, this thought, which is interesting. I was watching Francisco Lindor, who's, the, who's you know, uh, the Mets marquee player who, whose contract is... 350 million or something like that, you know, and he's having a good year and he's hitting 249, you know, 
and that no longer matters that much because he's on base and OPS and he's hitting home runs and he plays an elite defense and blah, blah, blah. But like, you're just like, you're watching the guy and he's a great hitter. And you're like, this guy should hit 300. And I was like, why doesn't anyone hit 300 anymore? You know? Yeah. So I was just Googling like the percentage of MLB players that hit 300 now. And the funniest part is that when I did that, I found all these articles that were like, the, the disappearance of the 300 hitter is a myth. And then they would show these charts in which you saw this unbelievable spike in the number of three uh, 300 hitters from 1990 to 2010. And then it falls off a cliff. Wow. And, but it goes back to what it was from like 1980 and prior. So like 1900 to 1989, like 20, 20 to 25% of the league hit 300 or better. Then for this 20-year stretch, almost 40% of the league hit 300 or better. And then now it has collapsed again back to this. And these people are like, it's a myth. It's just gone back to what it was in the 80s. It's like, well, excuse me if over a 20-year period, (laughs) in the period in which many of us grew to love the game and got accustomed to the game, got accustomed to seeing guys hitting 350, hitting 375, we got used to over a 20-year stretch. 40% 40% of the league hitting 300 or better. And then it collapsed. Yeah. Like that. What do you mean? It's a myth. And I was saying, it's like, it's like if, you know, quarterbacks, if the number of quarterbacks throwing for over 4,000 yards suddenly went back to what it was in the eighties, you know? Well, I mean, think about any of the professional sports in America that are super popular. If the game reverted back to what it was like in the 80s, it would be a disaster. It would be Football, strange. The too, NBA, like... all of it. It would yeah. be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and the league, there's this weird denial that this is like an issue for a lot of people in baseball. Like, that is a lot of action that's not taking place. And yeah. like... It's been replaced with walks, you know? It's like a walk is as good as a hit. No, a walk is a disaster. Like a walk is the most boring shit in the world. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of pitches. It takes a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, whatever with the messing yeah. with their stuff. And then the guy just walks to first base. It's a boring thing to view. It stinks. So true. Also, a walk might be strategically just as good, but it's terrible for the product. Just like, you know, Woody Hayes wasn't wrong. Three yards in a cloud of dust can win you a football game, but it also makes you not want to watch a football game. Right. Like, this is a problem. So 2000 to 2009, 39.3% of the league hit over 300. 2010 wow. to 2017, it's down to 23%. Wow. That's a, that's ridiculous. That's a massive like like the sport is that we grew up on is it's objectively worse now. Like it's not yeah. It's not like the NBA where there's like people who like it better in the 90s for all whatever their reasons are, you know, like cuz it was just this like formative period or like you know there's people who like football better in the whatever it is. Those are like subjective, those are debatable. Like baseball's the only sport that's like Obje- or maybe like boxing, but like baseball is like objectively a worse game to watch than it used to be. Yeah, that there's no doubt about that. I, why? I guess I'm curious though. I mean, I guess because of the time period that you're referencing. But is this more steroids or is it the nerds? 
I don't know. I really don't like. I still don't understand ster- the steroid era. Like, are all this? Did they? Did it work? Like, they started testing, and like steroids have been eliminated from the game. Like, does nobody use steroids anymore? Is that like what we're meant to believe? Or like, well, did they just eradicate it and they they solved it? I just think now probably there are so many more supplements that can kind of do for you what for the most part what you need without the risk of you know massive suspension getting banned from the game whatever yeah and so i think that there's still ways that the players are performance enhancing it's just not straight up like put a needle in my arm like it's a scary 80s after school special yeah, I just, it seems like too simple an explanation that everybody did steroids and all these numbers jumped and then they stopped and they came down. Um, but I don't know. And like, because the other part of it, like there is the analytics of it where guys are like, you know, want to hit home runs and they don't care about strikeouts and they want to walk and batting average is not prioritized anymore. Um, and then there's also like the pitchers are all throwing 100 miles an hour now. Like it just seems like, that seems like the biggest problem. Like it right. just well, got too hard to hit. Well, right, and the you know the way teams started using their bullpens, where you have fresh p- waves of fresh pitchers coming at guys. And, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm Whatever not sure it is. Right. It's just to me, it's like it's an emergency. And if you're the ba- like, and I know baseball is sort of aware of this, but like it just seems to me that all the stuff they talk about doing is like so around the margins of like the length of the game, you know, like we're going to institute a pitch clock. It's like, you have to get people hitting the fucking ball again. Yeah. Like I want to see guys hit 330, 350, like, and, and 330 with a 375 on base is much better than 240 with a 370 on base because those hits matter. That hits is action and stuff happening. And it's like, I just miss seeing guys hit the fucking ball no it's so true it's also too like your team's best your team's best player over the course of the season 162 games hitting the ball you know 33 to 35 percent of the time is a big change over 25 percent of the time because both are very low numbers overall you're watching a lot of people not hit the ball a lot of times yes even with a lot of high averages right it's yeah. not it's not even about like runs scored you know like it's just that it means like now you're in a position where like 80% of the time the guy does no one gets a hit. He's yeah. sitting down. Like <laughs> it's not good. No, it's true. And I think while baseball obviously was correct in sort of analyzing that home yes, home runs are the most exciting hit. But when they're the only kind of hit, they're far less exciting. And it's also like I think there is less value in every single guy hitting 30 than a few guys hitting 65 and 70. Yeah, no like, doubt about it. That is more important than, you know, everybody being able to hit home runs. Like, it devalues, the, you know, like, I miss the, there's just no juice around the home run. Like, right. and versus, nobody hits a ton. There's plenty of value in more guys hitting for better average, but less home runs. Right. You're right. From an yeah. entertainment point of view. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. That's very true. And then true. you have the sluggers who you hit the home runs and they hit a ton of them. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's like the, I can't even tell young fans like what it, you guys used to hit like three fifty, and they'd have six. You know what I mean? Like, look at, go look at Sammy Sosa's like baseball reference page of that like yeah. four or five year stretch. It just was awesome. I know. So many guys doing that, like hitting three forty with 
150 RBIs, you know? It's like now it's like nobody hits 100 RBIs. Nobody has a 300 batting average. It's just... You're so right, too, because I remember... I can't remember what year span it was, but there seemed like a point where we had enough different guys in different years chasing 400 that yes. it, you began to think like, oh, we're not only are we going to, it's similar to the Roger Maris record, right? Like not only are we going to see somebody do, do it, it, we might actually see a few, like once the first guy does it, a few people then do it subsequently right after. But then it just, you're right. Like all of a sudden, and no one was even close anymore. It's gone. That's yeah. not even, no one's hitting 400. No one's hitting 300. Right. Right. <laughs> Like that has been erased, right? Like, all right, you know, uh, Joe DiMaggio's hit streak, which whatever is not the most exciting record anyway. But like, no one's getting no near that. that. Yeah, <laughs> no one's no getting close to it. Right? Nobody can get a freaking hit. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It does suck. It does. Like, it's an emergency problem. And I know, like, I know baseball still is popular. It's not the dying in the way that some people like to say. You know, like, people still watch tons of baseball games. It's a fun sport. I mean, you know, it's been into the Subway Series. The Mets and Yankees are both good. But it's just not as fun to watch as it used to be. It's no, just and, objectively not. And you're right, because I also think about, you know, we've discussed here on the pod the dad's strategy for watching baseball, which is first two innings, last two innings, you know, bedtime in between. <laughs> I, it is crazy how rarely, I've like, if I tried to do that, I have tried in the past to do that with the Knicks. Like, all right, let me watch the first quarter, put Haley to bed, and then I can fast forward through commercials the rest of the way. That's extremely difficult because once I start watching the game, it's really hard to find a point to pause it and then revisit it later. I find that extremely difficult. I really very rarely have an issue just walking away from the Yankee game after two innings to like do the rest of the stuff. And then right. maybe, maybe not come back depending on the score on my phone and like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, no. it was so funny to watch, to, to find this, like those data points in articles that were like, it's so exaggerated. It's like, what are you talking about? In a single decade, it went from 40% of the league hitting over 300 to 23. That's a ridiculous drop. Yeah. Like how many, too, I mean, obviously we're not mathematicians, but half the people hitting 300 got reduced. How many hits is that? You know what I mean? How right. many games is that? affecting and changing and i think that's so true you're right nothing happens <laughs> nothing right. like even soccer people complain there's not enough scoring you know what things are happening all the time as right. you as i our fans didn't get the visual i did and i loved it but like yeah adjusting gloves and spitting and scratching balls and yeah. like all kinds of things are, are that's like what you're watching 90 percent of the time yeah that's like the Mets catcher, this guy James McCann, has the most aggressive cup adjustment before every pitch <laughs> I've ever seen in my life, and it drives me nuts. It's like so, he like fully grabs it, and like every pitch just like positions the cup. It's just like, James, I don't know, like do something, man. Like I just, a full, full squeeze nut grab before every pitch is like really too much for me. Well, you know, cups are uncomfortable, Brian. They are. I know. It's like yeah. either don't wear it. I guess he's a catcher. He needs a cup. But 
isn't it something that the cup you'd think by now we'd have better technology for that right something more comfortable better just, right that's the best we can do <laughs> a little shield for your balls <laughs> it's like hard plastic right it's so humiliating to wear like there's just no dignified way to have one on like <laughs> I know. I guess they're probably like, do you think they're, it's probably like loaded into spandex now? I haven't put a cut. Like, do you think they're, are they still those like things, you know, like the stra- strap? You know, no, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, you know, I haven't worn a cuff in so long. Not only have I not worn a cup, like, I just think people stopped wearing, I think just everyone universally decided, listen, is the cup a good <laughs> idea? Yes. Are we going to, no, we're just not going to do it. Right. We're risking it. We're, right. we're risking it. Yeah. Which goes to show, honestly, how uncomfortable the cup is. Right, right. Like, that almost every American male at some point in his life was like, I'm just going to roll the dice with my balls. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't wear this thing. Because these are a nightmare. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they are not good. Oh, good. I mean, I'm not super enthusiastic about recapping any of the game last night, unless you are. No. I mean, I think it's good that both teams are good and it had some juice. And, like, yeah. you know, I still like baseball. I don't want to totally trash it. But I just... Yeah. I. I just find that that staggering and it's almost like I know something people talk about all the time, but it almost feels like under discussed. Like it's just like nobody's getting hits. Does Nate ever tune into baseball with you at all? Or is he that's not really his not thing. to watch like he wants to know the score and did they win and he'll watch a little bit. Nate's thing with watching sports is once he starts watching, then he wants to play it. So he like well, he doesn't sit and watch. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Right. Sitting and watching requires a lot of stillness. It's a not, lot of stillness. It's not his forte. That's not his strength. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. It's time. The Giants, day two, is today. Scale of one to ten, your level of excitement is? A five. Okay. That's... Like, okay, here come the... Here, let me show you a picture. Get your reaction to it. Okay. How does that make you feel? (laughs) Joe Shane and Brian Dable? Let me tell you something. Side by side. Makes me feel good. It does? First of all, Dave Gettleman is not in that picture. That's true. That's... I do like their camaraderie. They seem to like each other, genuinely. I think so. And I think that that's a good thing. Right. You know, um, I mean, Dave Gettleman's gone, Brian. If yeah. if nothing else, that stale fart has been aired out of the building. That's true. And that's... I'm going to look at it one more time. Let me see how, what I, what, what do I feel? <laughs> yeah. I don't no. Know. I just All don't right. feel as good as I want to feel. All right. So this time, <laughs> this time, don't look at it first. Right. Get a clear picture of dave gettleman that's in your true face. that's true right i am forgetting the like hiked up shorts and like yeah, bucket hat. hat yeah 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 right just like what in god's name yeah and i mean then you get chain that guy's guy's in shape that's true you know um so this is a good place to start because you're showing me a picture of uh, brian dable joe shane the head coach and gm did you see the interview that uh, Xavier McKinney gave to the New York Post, I believe, to Serby, C. Serby. I did see tidbits of it. I thought, 
I thought it was pretty interesting, actually. Uh, not just not just what he had to say about Judge, but Patrick Graham. I thought right. that was interesting. I thought it was pretty clear that uh, that there was, even though the defense was by far the best unit on the team, the players were not totally bought in, even with Patrick Graham. And I thought there was something that they said. Uh, I, I think it was in the article. Basically, I think McKinney said, "You don't win by playing not to lose." Yeah, and that I think we 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 ended on that a couple of weeks ago, laughing hysterically we about. We did have a good laugh about it. Yeah, yeah, about that's how the Giants' defense played. The more I think about it, going into this year, obviously one of the big headlines of Giants' camp is that the secondary continues to be a concern. And just thinking about this McKinney interview, you know, we talked about Wink Martindale and kind of what to expect, and we don't know yet what kind of pass rushers and blitzers we have necessarily, but Patrick Graham didn't blitz a ton. Uh, We were very conservative on defense. That's hard for the DBs. You're out there in coverage for a long freaking time. I could see them getting frustrated, you know, at least now maybe McKinney's thinking if nothing else, I won't have to be in coverage for a minute and a half. now. (laughs) You know, like if I get beat or I don't get beat, at least it's going to happen sooner. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I do think that even with our, even our good coaches weren't, here's the thing that's been so impossible to watch about the Giants the last couple of years. It's just not just that they're not talented and they don't play good football, but there was a sense that they almost wanted to be at the game less than any of the fans did. And that's a huge problem. And it's something that you could see. And it's something that I think should be a little bit different this year. And I think that's nice. Yeah. A judge is so weird. What, well, you know, it's like the, his whole thing with this tough guy persona and then they go out there and they play the most afraid brand of football ever, you know? And I yeah. like get, it's like, you didn't have a lot of talent. And so you're trying to like keep yourself in the games and then steal them, you know, and sort of like let your execution sort of, uh, make up for but i mean they just took it to this the extreme of like such i mean to conserve this just overly conservative philosophy on both sides of the ball where you want to be like dude you can actually go the other way when you're less talented and be aggressive and because like you're gonna lose you know (laughs) like right and actually if you can steal a touchdown because you're being a little aggressive or create a turnover because you're being aggressive like maybe you block a punt or return a punt or like those kind of plays. Like maybe there's a trick play you throw in. Like that's how you win with a not a less talented team. Not like, like a good team can play. It's, it's better to play the way he's trying to play, you know, like the Patriots can play that way because everybody's good and they can, they don't have to take chances. Like when you stink, it's almost the opposite. That's so true. And I just, I think Judge's biggest problem, I do think he meant well. I just, that he was too rigid. Yeah. You know, like even with his lapse nonsense, which I even defended, honestly. But it, it, like, every mistake has consequences. I know he's trying to make that point. Joe, everybody's a grown up, gets that. Yeah. You don't have, (laughs) there, there can be moments where you're like, no, I get it. It's a mistake. Like, but. Don't let it happen. It doesn't happen. No, well, yeah, you got to run a lap. Yeah, you have to. Run. 
Like, okay, Joe, I know we're oh and whatever. Right, but, right. I'll go run this lap. That's helping. Right, right. You can't make your players run laps, conditioning laps, and then do the QB sneak three times in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Or Those two things don't. Yeah. <laughs> right. What a disgrace that was, Scott. Yeah, that was terrible. It was indefensible. I can't that believe was, I defended he, it. He should have been. He should have been pulled off the field and fired on the spot for that. Yeah. The, the sneaks. Yeah, that was so egregious. Like this is an NFL game. All right, this is an East Rutherford High. Come on now. Come on now. If a high school team did that, you'd be like, "What the? <laughs> yeah, hell like, are we why doing? Why don't you just kneel? What are you doing? You can't even hand it off. It's too risky." <laughs> NFL players right and what are you risking by the way it's too risky because if the, what? if it doesn't pay off the result is what <laughs> that was like I would love to just to really you know like he almost needs to talk to like a psychologist like a sports psychologist about that sequence because like, I agree you know that revealed such a fear of failure like yeah that he needs to like talk through, you know what I mean? Like when his next job, like he's got to work through whatever it is that led to that moment. So true. So true. Just a so stubborn, dysfunctional mess that devolved into. You're right. He lost it. Like he came in with some weird shit and it only got worse. Yeah. 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 As the pressure built up, like it's, it's, it's actually like, it's funny because because of who he was and his persona, like he unraveled and then the team unraveled, but it started yeah. with him. Like yep. he, he actually, he buckled under, like he really wanted to turn the giants around. And I, I do respect, I really do respect that. I, I think it was, he really wanted to come in here and turn the giants around Agreed. in the way that he had set out to like, make it this like team that we were all going to like make it the 86. Like he wanted to be Bill Parcells like so bad. And then when it unraveled, no he unraveled completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he really did. And looking back at what well, it is sad. Yeah. Like, like it's right. meant like emotionally, he kind of cratered at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, what the hell, yeah. like what was yeah. going on in that building? Well, the whole, remember the whole, you know, it's funny when, it, when, when a coach gets fired, a team is like, all right, we're going to turn the page. And I get it. I'm not you know, necessarily blaming them for doing that. But you sort of forget about the fiascos. Like, I want to know, how come we haven't gotten the story? What went down with Mark Colombo, Jason Garrett, and Joe Judge? Right. Give me the whole thing there. What was Garrett and Judge's relationship really like? Yeah. I guess I bet we don't hear those stories because Marrow was so deeply involved in it that that that's why people still can't write about it. Right, right. That is right. What happened? <laughs> I'm sorry, and I know you know you have a, a a very personal familial history with the New York Giants, but is John Marrow just the worst person ever? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm gonna ask the question. He just is like no one. He's the worst. He. I mean, it's everything. It's from the medium Pepsi to <laughs> the competition committee stuff with the celebrations that I don't want to see that. I don't think anybody wants to see that. <laughs> right, right. To his insistence on keeping Gettleman, to his insistence on defending Daniel Jones. 
it's he's the worst. He picks the worst people to stand behind. He has the worst opinions about anything from Pepsi <laughs> size to, to the rules to celebrations right. to happiness, for God's sake. <laughs> To joy. What's his problem? <laughs> he has terrible instincts. I'll say that. Like he really does. He gets everything a little wrong, and he's one of those guys who's trying to please everybody and ends up pleasing no one. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's really one of those fellows. He's like trying to make everybody happy. The traditionalists, the youngins, and he makes everybody upset. And the stadium is is a testament to that. You know, like the Giants are just weirdly run they're not fan friendly but they think they are and you know they're just like and yet they're not they don't just like like you know the giants they're like not flashy you know and and that's supposed to be good like they're not the cowboys and just like you know razzle dazzle or whatever but it's like then they're still still like cost eight hundred dollars to go to a game you know what i mean right, like right. they're not like giving you a break or anything it's like it's just shitty. <laughs> yeah. Right. It just sucks. The stadium right. sucks. The experience right. sucks. The team right. sucks. Right. Like, yeah. Like, they won't go out and get, you know, these risky players. But then, like, they're not good either. So, like, it's just, you just get the worst of all worlds with everything. Right. right now. Yeah. I'm not proud of the team on the field, John. I don't care yeah. what the personalities are like. I right. prefer to win. Thank <laughs> right. You. right. Like Lawrence Taylor, like still gets standing ovations at giant stadium. He is a horrendous human being. <laughs> right. <laughs> or look, he's made some mistakes. I don't want to go that far, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go that far. I would not want to be alone with him in a room at any point, but no, no, <laughs> He's troubled. Oh. Yeah. No, I get it. Well, uh, speaking of troubling, what was that article by Pat Leonard in the Daily News about Daniel Jones possibly getting yanked early in the season? I could, I didn't really read it. What was the the thrust? Like, just that well, that's whispers, or or what was the? Yeah, he thinks I think, this is possible, or he's hearing this is possible. He thinks it's possible. Uh, he didn't go so far as to say he's hearing it's possible. Okay. This is why part of the reason why I sent you the article, I couldn't decipher because right. Pat Leonard, let's be honest, no stranger to trolling. Oh my god! So was he? Was this article written as like a, almost a reverse troll? Like the people he would normally troll would, you know, I don't know. Was it a? Was he trolling people? Is he just getting people stirred up? Or does he sort of think he knows something? In I really... favor of, so for who? Tyrod Taylor? So for Ty, so the thinking being this is that if Jones, and this was, so he had a few things in there. I don't remember all of it because some of it was just obviously, you know, baloney. But the most compelling case that he made is that Shane and Dayball, you know, look, they already have feelings about Daniel Jones because. Shane didn't give him the the fifth year option, right? He didn't pick up the fifth year option. So they're already very uncertain of Daniel Jones. And that is, you know, it's quarterback. It's crucial. But the thinking that Pat Leonard has is that Shane needs to be able to evaluate the rest of the roster. Guys like Kenny Galladay, um, other offensive players, even Tony and what so. And so if, if Jones isn't getting it done and if he's not good, 
they have some history with Tyrod Taylor. They kind of know who he is and what he is and that, you know, maybe him playing would give them a better ability to evaluate the other guys on the offense if they feel like they have their answers with Daniel Jones early on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't see that happening one bit, but <laughs> I don't see it I happening. Also, I also think Daniel Jones is better than Tyrod Taylor and it's going to have no problem holding him off the entire season. Well, but again, I don't think it's necessarily that Tyrod Taylor beats out Daniel Jones, but just maybe, you know, is Daniel Jones too erratic, right? Like maybe, maybe Daniel Jones is better than Tyrod Taylor in terms of what his ceiling could be or certain throws he could make. But, you know, is Tyrod Taylor going to manage a game better? And I think Daniel Jones is a better football player than Tyrod Taylor and he'll be the Giants quarterback this year. Okay. And then hopefully not long after. <laughs> but see, that's the problem is if he's able to last the whole year. I, I don't know. I guess that's the thing, right? Because it's very hard to evaluate what we're going to get out of this giant season and what we even want out of this giant season. Like, let's say they win nine, 10 games. That would be a success for. Yeah, sure. Dable, Shane, the organization. We don't get there unless Daniel Jones has a good, not great year. And uh, what do we do with a year like that? I guess we franchise tag him. Do we extend him? Like, what's the play? Um, they Here's what they, they should franchise. I don't know. I mean, franchising, man, is not easy. It's like huge money now, franchise tag on a quarterback. It's got to be probably 35, 40 million or something like that. I think it's for this year, I think it's 31 million. So, yeah, okay. it'll be higher next yeah. year. But – you know, I guess it's better than a long-term commitment to a guy, you know, like what's Daniel Jones's ceiling at this point? It's like, are we hoping he'll be better than Tannehill, Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I think that's a ceiling. Right. I think that's a ceiling too. So yeah. do we really want to get into a long-term thing with him? We don't, as in you and I, right. the Giants. Yeah, right. Yeah, they sure do. Well, but John Mara does. He sure does. But does Joe, do Joe Shane and Brian Dable? If John Mara does, they probably do. <laughs> yeah. So I we think, just I think there's a very good chance that the like that the Giants could surprise, go 9 and 8. Daniel Jones plays well, gets extended, and the Giants you know, end up maybe we have like a fossil Kerry Collins type stretch where we're, okay. you know, we're pretty good, but you know, not really. Right. <laughs> Mostly not really. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. I guess I, I could see that too. I also think the Giants are going to be better this year. I bet the, I put up already wagered on their over. Really? Total over for the year, yeah. What is it? What's the what's the over under? Most of the books had it at seven and a half. I was able to get a seven at uh, BetMGM. I think. I think, um, I, I, I'm not saying this is what I hope. I, I here's what I say is a positive, an actual positive. This is why I'm not excited about the season. This is what I think is like. This would be a positive giant season. Okay. They go six and eleven. Daniel Jones is good enough that. The offense is functional, so it's not like a total disaster. 
and it's watchable. And it makes us feel good, decent about the coach that like, oh, okay, the offense is like flowing. It's, it's okay. Defensively, we're okay, but not really good. And we're six and 11, but like Thibodeau's had a good year. Um, you know, the, Neil and Thomas have both had good years and Daniel Jones has been okay that he will probably be employed next year, but it won't be by us. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think the season you're describing for it to really thread the needle, the way you're describing it is just going to require the team to play well and Daniel Jones to have a lot of traditional stats that look good. Yards, touchdowns, but his interception and fumble rate remains massive. I think right. that's what that's right. what gets us to where you're going. Right. And I think that that's right. I think that's what I want. But then that's weird, right? So what am I doing? I'm rooting for us to like move the ball 80 yards and then he's going to throw a pick <laughs> like the 50. No, I mean, I think it's going to be a frustrating kind of another wasted year where hopefully at the end, you see a little light at the end of the tunnel. That's I think is like the best we can hope for. And then you're going into the draft and there's multiple quarterbacks available, you know, not just the top two, maybe there's four seems like there could be. And you're in, position to maybe grab one yeah and then you've got tyrod taylor so maybe let's say you get the fourth quarterback in this in that next year's draft whichever that guy is right we have tyrod for another year and he's not you know the plug and play but he's one of the you know he's a good prospect and yeah you've got tyrod maybe he plays maybe he doesn't whatever like then you have those yeah. two compete and then now you start to like and then you've got a lot of cap space. So you're, you're going to put, you can potentially put a good team around this like little core you're starting to build about with McKinney and, um, you know, Thibodeau and, uh, you know, uh, Ojolari and Neil and Thomas and, you know, yeah, you started to build something, Tony. That's where I think that's about as good as we can hope for. I'm rooting so hard for Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I just want him to be electric. Really what I want is I want all these pieces that Jason Garrett was incapable of using. Yeah, yeah, right. To shine. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. You know, except Saquon. I'm so annoyed at Saquon. I would like to. I mean, if, if I would love for Saquon, though, to have a huge year. You know, like, that's the only way he could play. But it would be kind of nice for him to just be awesome. You know what I mean? Like, totally, that would be great. Just right now, I have him in the same camp as Randall. I think Saquon needs to come out in training camp and walk back his remarks about, you know, the haters. If you're if you're not on the wagon now, don't be on it or whatever stupid yeah, yeah, yeah. comment. he Like, Saquon, don't. <laughs> Don't point the finger at us. Right, right, right. Just go out there and be great. Yeah. The people that you're talking to, Saquon, have sad lives doing whatever their normal job is. And all they want is to turn on their TV on Sunday and not watch a QB sneak in the fourth quarter of a close game in in the shadow of your own end zone. All right? 
We just want to see good football played. We want to see the second overall pick in the draft stay on the field and do things on it. Why are you pointing the finger at us? Point the finger at you, Mr. Quads, with all your Instagram <laughs> pictures and all your stuff and been terrible for three years now. It's like, oh, don't jump on the bad wagon later. Right, like, right. Why would anyone be on it now? Yeah. Right, well, yeah. It's been going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, think... I, oh, go ahead. I just think you and I also should be the only ones allowed to talk about Daniel Jones. I don't want to hear about Daniel Jones from anybody else. Not that we're the foremost experts on it. But, like... I, what I really don't want to do is go on Twitter every day and just get a throw-by-throw throw update of Daniel Jones. And it's just like, I, I don't know what any of that... Like, just don't talk about him. Yeah, Until yeah. W- when we see him on a Sunday <laughs> that counts, we'll know what we're looking at. Yeah. And that's it. We don't have to talk about it. We all know it. We've been talking about this guy for too long. We Every, every season we enter the season, it's like, what's Daniel Jones going to be? Right. I'm so tired of that question. <laughs> Let me know when we know the answer. <laughs> right. I mean, we know it. Yeah. So like, what I described is like the best case scenario of like that six and 11. Like if the Giants go nine and eight or 10 and seven and Daniel Jones has like a good year and the Giants race in and give him an extension that is unwise, I, you know, I'll still be happy. You know what I mean? Like, because it's not the NBA. Like, the NFL's not the NBA, where you can get stuck in this, like... Yeah. You'll still have a chance, you know? And, like, look, like, those fossil Kerry Collins years, like, we went to a Super Bowl. We had another year where we were kicking the 49ers' butt and looked like we might go to another Super Bowl. And then it all... You know what I mean? Like, so that wouldn't be... It would be annoying, and it put, a, I think, a hard cap on us. And, like, I, th- I think locking into Daniel Jones would be a mistake when there's, like, really exciting quarterbacks right on the horizon and all that. And so I think we'd ultimately be better served where this year was not that successful, but you felt pretty good about the coach, you felt pretty good about the GM, and you could move on from Saquon and Daniel Jones and then go forward. I think that would be the best case, that best thing to happen for the franchise. If they surprised and they were pretty good and they stuck with Daniel Jones and okay, it's not so great. I'd still be happy, you know, cause at least we don't suck, you know, like I'd still be like, okay, we don't suck. Can we get my right. kids to watch the freaking games and like have a good Sunday and, and Daniel Jones, whatever, if he plays okay, you know, I'll tell you what, Scott, he puts that football on the ground this year. <laughs> I am. That is where I'm gonna, really I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> I was literally just about to ask you, have you called for a helicopter yet on Daniel Jones's fumbling? It's not a problem, <laughs> Island. Uh, yeah, I, uh... <laughs> yes, I do. I would like to get off. I, I know, but he needs to stop fumbling. <laughs> <laughs> i will Except, say though throw some freaking touchdowns for god's sakes well right and i think the touchdowns thing i just think <laughs> your ideal season to play out six, six and eleven but we have confidence in the coach and gm right for- a lot of fumbles <laughs> <laughs> a lot of drives crushed with blah, butterfingers yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny?
funny too. I want him to fumble this year so bad for so many comedy reasons. Right. But also because I think if Daniel Jones fumbles a lot this year and that's the end of his Giants career and, and we move on and we're in a good place afterwards. If Daniel Jones is straight up four years as a fumbler, that also I think requires us to revisit the infamous run in Philly where he just fell down mysteriously. Right, right. Like all this, how many ridiculous things could happen to this guy? Right. What is to- with this guy? Right, right. <laughs> I know it's so he's such a weird player, you know? Like you think of like the what think of like last year. The like this is to me the turning point of the Judge Jones like era. When he was playing a great game, who I think it was against Dallas, right? And we're going in for a score, and it's man. I first time in my life I thought Daniel fucking Jones, and he does that little naked bootleg, and he's going in, and he just gets creamed. Oh yeah! And then he's like drooling out of his mouth, and he's <laughs> wobbling. And I should we shouldn't laugh because it was frightening. You know, yeah, no, it, was it was a bad. really terrifying situation, but it was like. Uh, you know, it just was like, and then the season just collapsed yeah. and it was like, uh, poor Giants, poor Daniel Jones. I just feel like that was such a turning point <laughs> of everything. It was like, he's going in and just like, it was like, oh God, terrible. Why is Jason Garrett still a free man? How come we haven't imprisoned Jason Garrett? Is he, is he is he like coaching high school now or what is he doing? I think he's like an announcer for the new football league or something. <laughs> or he's going to I think he's going to know. Now he's going to be on uh he's replacing Drew Brees, I think. Oh, you're right. You're right. On Sunday Night Football. Oh, he'll be electric. He's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> really good. How do you give that guy a job that what does this guy have on everybody? Yeah. What yeah. What do I want to hear what Jason Garrett thinks of modern football? Yeah. You know, he had a pretty successful tenure as a head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Won a lot of games. I guess he won, what, one playoff game, though, or something? I mean, he also, he was the head coach of a very talented team. And I, I'm not one of those people who's going to tell you that a coach doesn't have to do anything if the team is talented. Yeah, yeah. But when he w- went back to calling plays, and that was his primary focus, it, I think what it revealed was alarming. Yeah, yeah. No, talk I mean, about underachieved. Yeah, and talk about baseball reverting back to you know a more boring era. Like that's what Jason Garrett was trying to accomplish here. I think. What do you think of um, this Mike of Mike McCarthy, like him being so in like hot seat? Um, well, and also I don't know if you if you because I'm work from home now, so I'll have ESPN on in the morning, and like they're obsessed with the Cowboys. I know they move the needle, but it's like unbelievable. Um how much Cowboys talk, but it's just that Mike McCarthy, it's like, is he an idiot? Is he? I don't know if he's an idiot, but there's clearly an issue there. I would think, right? Like, you know, it's like, you start to like, actually look at the guy's career. Right. And like, he's successful in green Bay, whatever you want to say, it fell apart at the end. He was successful. Right. He won a super bowl. They were good every year. And then Rogers got hurt and they had the bad year and, and they fired him. Yeah. I mean, is he is he like a guy that was more suited to the era in which he had more success and as like maybe things began to transition and he just happened to be at a weird age where he coaches in both eras and he's perfectly fine for the one that he started it in and then he kind of aged out of it in the middle of a career? Well, I'm just saying, so then he comes to Dallas, right? His first year, Dak gets hurt and they're bad. They go like six and ten. But Dak got hurt. 
So then the next year, they're 12 and four. This is his second year as the coach. They win right. the division. Right. They're losing a tough, they lose a you know brutal loss at home in the playoffs, which like they probably should have won that game, but it wasn't like they lost to like a bad team. No, but I mean also the way they lost, whether it's fair or not, it seemed like it's just a team that was either or you just see that situation. If you're a very well coached team, that doesn't happen, you know. I mean, look, even Sean McDermott, for as great a game as that Bills-Chiefs game was, he's still catching shit for how did they let the Chiefs score in 13 seconds or whatever. Well, I mean, he deserves it. <laughs> That's and, like oh, egregious. And, no, and I agree, you know, but I mean, like, same thing. You got the ball wherever the ball is. And the end of that Dallas game was, I mean, if you're a Dallas fan, God. I thought that freaking. call was defensible, though. Like, it, it just didn't work, man. But that was actually semi-brilliant, that sneak. And, like, if he gets down two seconds earlier and they are able to clock that, like, I don't know. That was a pretty, like, <laughs> you know well, what I mean? Right. Like, they were a second away from that being, like, a pretty brilliant call. Like, they got, no, like, 25 yards on that thing. I agree, <laughs> but you have to execute it all the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a brilliant call if Dak gets down in time and then they get the ball snapped in time. Right, but how's that his fault? Like... Because you gotta, you gotta let the guy know. Like, look, you have this clock. You have to, like, you have yeah, to be he's ready for do that. It he's got to do it. Like, I, you know, I gave him a brilliant play. Yeah, executed it. It worked just the way I thought it would. Like, and he just didn't get down quick enough and get everybody. Like, they just didn't execute it. But it was well. Pretty... But I mean, same thing about the Bills, right? Like, no, maybe, Bills we don't... like sat way back. You know, like you got. I don't know. Like to me, they just played way too soft. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe with McCarthy, it's it's unfair. I think he... McCarthy looks like an idiot, and he kind of sounds like an idiot. Yeah, and therefore we think, and he might be. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not yeah. like you're going all in on him. I'm just saying, like he's had a remarkable amount of success for people to have no respect for him. Right. He has a ring. <laughs> right. Well, also, he worked most closely with maybe the two people in the NFL who most require you to debase yourself in their honor. Like right. coaches Aaron Rodgers yeah. and then leaves and then goes and works for Jerry Jones. That's true. That's like, true. Yeah. I think that's a big part of why yeah. he seems to get no respect. Yeah. Right. Just two dudes who are looking to cuck every man they know <laughs> all the time. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> Just castrate everybody they work with. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Yeah. That is weird. That's a weird dynamic that he went from one to another. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But I heard like Ryan Clark was like really railing on him being like, he kind of deserves it because of these clock management issues. And he's like, no one, and you know, like people are asking about your job because like your job, like you are, people rightly view you as the reason this team is not going to succeed. And like, he was, you know, comparing it to like, no one's asking Andy Reid about his job status. Cause it's like, you know, look, Andy Reid is a bri- one of the most brilliant offensive coaches ever. Amazing success. Andy Reid and Mike McCarthy have some things in common. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's true. People really forget Andy Reid has some really bad losses on his resume. And like a lot of them are like really boner clock management. Yeah. Weird decisions, you know, and like they go right down to like last year. Like how the hell did the Chiefs lose that game to the Bengals? Like that was a brutal loss. Yeah. Um, 
and he got the Super Bowl, which kind of seemed to erase it all. But like those careers, one, they're fairly similar dudes. I think they come from like, did Mike McCarthy might even come from the Reed or no? Is he not a Reed guy? Is he like a who did he guy? take over for again, McCarthy? Holmgren? Or was there somebody Holmgren. between? Yeah, you're right. Holmgren. Yeah. So West Coast guy. They're both West Coast guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just saying, there's uh, there's some similarities there. Um, no, I think you're probably right about it's that. An yeah. intru- I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm going out to bat for Mike McCarthy. Fuck him. But <laughs> it just seems weird to me. Like, in your second, like if the Giants had a coach who in a second, if Brian Dable, if the Giants are 12-4 and four and they win the division next year, they're not firing the guy. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, I think there haven't there been some stories about the Cowboys just seeming or or being somewhat unprepared. I was reading somebody's NFL preview. It had to be on the Athletic. Oh, I think it was uh, Mike Sando's QB tiers. I was reading, and I guess a, a defensive coordinator in the NFC told him that uh, Dallas was pretty predictable in the second half of games. Like they didn't change things up a lot. They didn't you know, run different plays or they didn't save certain plays. I think I've heard stuff like that before, but ultimately I think you're right. I think it's just, he's been in some extremely weird working situations where his teams are good, but there is also a big personality in the mix that makes everything more difficult. Yeah. That's that's true. Do you think Jerry Jones, I mean, I, this has been done to death. This is certainly not a unique question. But is Jerry Jones, does he just make it impossible for the Cowboys to win? Is he just too big? He puts too much personality in the room. I don't know. The Cowboys are so fascinating because, like, they're everyone, they're, like, always good, but they always, like, have also, like, no chance of, like, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But I also, I think part of that is because the coach is always in such a precarious position. Yeah, yeah. Because regardless of who it is, everybody in that building knows. That whoever the head coach is is not the actual boss. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and it's so like the way they fail. It does feel like that is such a factor. Like, yeah, it's just like yeah. And that's why nobody respects McCarthy in part. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and and then I think that's why the like Sean Payton. It's like the Cowboys, and it's why probably Jerry Jones is like, I'm not bringing Sean Payton in here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I had Parcells. I didn't like it. Yeah, exactly. Parcells told me to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm not fucking off. You fuck off, Parcells. Right, yeah. right. And I'm the boss. I like McCarthy. Right. He's, yeah, he's going to do what I want him to do. Yeah. That's why Jason Garrett was 10 years ahead coach. Right. That's why, like, if I'm going to replace him with anyone, it's going to be like Kellen Moore. <laughs> right. Exactly. He's a kid. Right. As a matter of fact, that's probably why I had to keep Kellen Moore, because Kellen Moore is the safety tire. Like the spare tire, you know, like, all right, yeah. gotta get rid of McCarthy or Kellen Moore. I stay yeah. in charge. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. Well, good. Let's keep it that way, Cowboys. Right. Nobody needs you to Never be successful. Change. Never change. Never change. Uh, I would move on to the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell, but I can't talk about it anymore. Just everybody shut the hell up until it's done. Just tell me when it's done. Tell me when it's done. Tell me what we did. I do want to ask you, Brian, are you, do you watch Better Call Saul? Yes. It's where where are you at with I'm that? I'm actually not all caught up though. So oh, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I think I've missed, I'm one behind though. Oh, but you're one episode behind. Yes. So let's put out a spoiler alert for the fans. What are you up to? Like, what's what have you most recently seen? I saw Kim deliver 
the difficult news okay. that she's leaving. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which Are was you... like emotionally, it was just emotional. Yeah. It's crushing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, good. So you're all in on Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. Better oh, Call good. Saul is amazing. It's incredible. It's, it's incredible. so good. You know, the only issue I have with Better Call Saul is how long it's taken to play out and which, you know, whatever. It's just a, such a master, like, you know, masterpiece show. Like, it takes a long time. It's just like from the start to the finish, you're like, what? You know, where? Like, Chuck, you know, some of these things feel like ages ago. Yeah. Like and its you, own show. The whole context of the show is hard to keep in your head while you're watching this latest season, you know? Yeah, it's true. I So I went back and watched, like I Googled what, like the important episodes. Uh, and so in between the first half of this current, you know, th- they split the season up. So between the first half of the season and where we're at now, Nicole and I went back and just kind of reviewed the series. And that helps a lot. And it's also that, you know, you wonder at some point in the middle of season three, like, how do they land this plane? Like, how, you know, know, we've gotten so deep into such weird places. I don't know how we get to Saul Goodman. Yeah. And yet they did it. Yeah. Like, perfect. Like, yeah. I bought it and it made sense. And I can't believe, I just can't believe it. It's so impressive. It is. Yeah. And the, this weekend, I, I spent a little time just like, looking at Breaking Bad and, and only fast forwarding to the Saul parts or the Mike and Gus parts. And those parts hold up remarkably well. Like it's a little awkward when all three guys make their first appearance on the show. One, because they look so much younger than they do in the prequel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because they didn't know who the characters were yet. So Mike's a little, little funnier right? in the beginning. And uh, Gus has a little less personality, but Overall, it is it's pretty seamless. Yeah, yeah. A, as you get there, and it is watching Saul is tragic. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not funny anymore. <laughs> no, oh god, I know. Yeah, his whole arc with his brother and the whole brother. You know, Mike McKeon one was so brilliant, but the whole Chuck storyline was such a brilliant. Yeah, like backstory for this guy. Um, and Howard, boy, uh, boy Howard, poor Howard. Poor Howard. I know. Didn't he didn't deserve, deserve that. He didn't deserve that. No. <laughs> None of it. He didn't even deserve the prank, honestly. He didn't deserve Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. He was borderline good to, yeah. to him. To, yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. I know. It's I mean, Vince Gilligan, man. What a, like, to do both of those shows, Breaking Bad and Break and Better Call Saul, one after the other, is like, what a. Yeah. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's incredible. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. Maybe we'll talk about it next week and more. Thanks for listening.